0: You're listening to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Why and I can't say it? is blue. <laughs> and welcome back to the Geared Ashley Mullet show. This is Geared Ashley Mullet. That was Jim Carrey in the movie Liar Liar, which we talked about a bit briefly in yesterday's episode, testing, Sales and Customer Service. You can go back and check that one out if you would like to. It is worth a listen, I think, if you are in sales or customer service or a technical job like mine where you have to work with not just devices and instrumentation, but people. If you have to work with people, it helps to know how to communicate. And communication is a two-way street. Communication is not just what you say. It's also what you hear and what you think you hear. Sometimes is not what you're actually hearing. And so we have to learn to be better listeners. We have to learn to pay attention. This is why James, half-brother of Jesus, says, Every one of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, as I've meditated on that passage, that prescription, which is devilishly hard for several years, I find all the more truth to something else that James, half-brother of Jesus, says in his letter in the New Testament, and that is that if any man is perfect in what he says, if he is able to bridle his tongue, if he never sins in what he says, he is perfect in all ways. Now, we say that, we hear that, and we think, oh man, like how hard could it be? actually be perfect in what you say, well, try it. Try it, and you will find that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We speak and we give life to those around us, or we speak and we tear them down. We know this from being on the receiving end. We know that when we are spoken to, something that somebody says can breathe life into an otherwise hard day, a hard season of life. It can encourage us. It can challenge us. It can help us to think about a problem we're dealing with in a new way. This is why we ask people for advice. This is why a genuine compliment can really put the wind in our sails. But we also know from experience, being on the receiving end, that sometimes the truth hurts and sometimes Knowing whether we're being told the truth can be very hard. Someone might have told us something that they really believe, and it hurts to think that they see us that way. Sometimes we know that someone is telling us something that they don't believe to be true about us because they are feeling hurt themselves, or they're feeling defensive, or they're feeling like they have been backed into a corner. And that also can hurt. It can hurt to be told something that we know is not quite the truth, but we don't know maybe what the truth is. We know that that's not quite it, but there might be some grain of truth in it. And so sifting the wheat from the chaff, sifting what is true that we can rely on from what needs to be discarded, there we spend an undetermined amount of time, usually proportional to how important this truth claim is to our mode of being, the way we have built our life and our relationships and our habits and our engagement with those around us, and also how important that relationship is with us. How much do we trust this person? How important is their good opinion of us, to us? How important is their being a part of our lives in some form or fashion? and what they said will it change the nature of our relationship moving forward those are all things that we have to consider when we think about what it is that they've just said us said to us rather see i'm not a perfect man and i'm leaving that part in intentionally because i want it to be genuine i want part of what i'm doing with this experiment if you will social experiment if you will, of a podcast, this exercise daily when I can manage it, sometimes every other day, sometimes two days in between, but I come back, usually those episodes when I come back are longer. That is what I'm trying to do here in exercising. In recording these extemporaneously, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get better at genuine communication, not scripted communication. Because sometimes when things are too scripted, they feel scripted. They feel too scripted. Well, they feel too scripted because they are too scripted. And what do we really mean? The case of the movie Liar, Liar is a funny one, but also an important one because it gets at something that we all have to reckon with, which is how honest are we? with other people, and how honest are other people with us? And both of those two questions combined make up what we refer to in a simple, simple, simple word that is very complicated in practice, trust, trust. How trustworthy are we? How trustworthy are other people? How much do we want other people to trust us? How much do we trust ourselves? How much do we want to trust other people? And the essence of the Christian life has to do with trust. Love colors the way that we trust God. We love because he first loved us and also the way in which he first loved us causes us to have a love for him. The way in which he first loved us has to inform, as we meditate on it, as we try to live it out. The way in we, the way in which we love one another, the way in which we put ourselves out there as we're trying to follow Christ, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're supposed to see Jesus as exemplary, as our leader, as our example, as our hope, as our object of faith. But also, trust goes into whether we love God well and whether we love one another well. And what I mean by that is that love hoping all things, taken a certain way, means that we make ourselves vulnerable. You have to, in order to put yourself out there with people, be willing to get hurt. You just have to. You have to be able to do that. You have to be willing to do that. It's wise to count the cost on the front end. Jesus says as much. You don't set about to building a structure without making sure you have the resources to be able to finish it. It's embarrassing when somebody for instance, takes out a loan, let's say, to build a house. And they get halfway through, and they've run out of money. And now the home is almost worse off than if they hadn't started it because it's half finished. Depending on what remains unfinished, what is already in place may be vulnerable to the elements. Besides scorn because I think scorn is downstream of the reality on some level. A house with the frame only for an extended period of time is going to be damaged by the sun and the rain and the wind. Let's say you do the electrical portion, but you don't put a roof over it. What good is the electrical portion? Well, it might be good for a while, and you should hope you can get the resources to finish, but otherwise you're going to see the electrical components that you installed, that you bought, that you installed, exposed to the elements and losing their integrity over time. Well, it's like that as we count the cost of following Christ. It's like that as we count the cost of putting ourselves out there to love other people. You have to count the cost and to see are you able to finish what you've started? And Sometimes what you do is you say, okay, well, the cost for that exceeds my abilities, and so I'm going to set my sights smaller. Let's say I've taken out a loan. It's enough to build something, but it might not be enough to build the grandest structure. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be circumspect. And that might require some humility, some patience, some intentionality, some discipline, some wisdom on the front end to say I only have $200,000, for instance, to work with here. So I can't build a 5,000-square-foot home on 40 acres in a part of the country where the demand supply dynamics make the property without any structure maybe even without utilities, $60,000. I'm not going to be able to build a 5,000 square foot home on that. Or if I do, it's going to not be a high quality structure. And So maybe you start looking for a smaller plot of land. You know what? I'm going to buy half an acre because that's 15,000 and that's 10,000 depending on where I get it. And it's got the utilities, so that's worth a lot. And now what do I have left? Okay, cool. And now maybe I still don't have enough to build a 5,000-square-foot home based on the cost of materials, based on the cost of labor. The availability of skilled labor is going to be a factor of supply and demand as well. So I'm going to hire a really good contractor, but the kind of house he's going to build of quality materials with quality labor might be much smaller, not just the size of the plot of land, is smaller, but the size of the house might be smaller if I want it to be a good quality house. So maybe I still am not getting a 5,000-square-foot house. Maybe now, as I'm honest and as I look at the quantity of materials and the type of building materials and the type of structure and who's going to be able to actually build that type of structure, maybe before I know it, I'm having to pare down, and I say, we're going to go for twenty five hundred square feet. I think we can do that. And we can do it if we build it according to this building plan. There's lots of contractors who are able to build that size structure in this layout, in this floor plan, given these factors. And let's say you come in at 170,000 on the front end. That's what you're planning, that's what you're budgeting. And it's always wise to budget less than what you have in case of surprises accidents, changes of mind, you set the budget for a hundred and seventy, And if you are able to stick to that budget, you still have 30000 left over at the end that you might decide once everything else that's essential is taken care of, you're going to invest. As you've watched the thing unfold and see it come together, you're going to invest in a little extra here, a little extra there, a little extra in the other place. But it's finished at the end. And which would be better, having 100% completion on a 2,500-square-foot house or 50% completion on a 5,000-square-foot house? Of course, of course, when we put it that way, when we think about it intentionally on the front end, 100% completion on a 2,500-square-foot house is a better place to be. And maybe you build it in such a way that down the road you can expand it hey, we can knock this wall out there and build out in that direction. We can build up here. If we build solid stuff down below, make sure the foundation's good, make sure this is really poured well. Let's build this in such a way that it's able to be built on later, maybe when the resources are greater, when the time and the attention that we can invest in this is greater. But what you have... In the case of relationships, I think all too often, is the equivalent of exceeding your means. And I think when that happens, on both sides of the equation, we have to be humble, patient, kind with one another. And we have to say, okay, well, it is what it is. Let's make the best of it. You have to be willing to say, as early as possible, This is not going to work. If it's not going to work, once that becomes clear, you have to be willing to say it out loud. you got to be willing to admit it. Denial is not just a river in Egypt. So don't be in denial or you might drown, particularly when it floods. But on the other hand, if you can get out of the water, get out of denial, maybe be on the banks when it floods, maybe do a little farming operation, maybe... You find the banks of denial are fertile ground for growing certain crops. Maybe what you can find is that on the banks of denial, <laughs> you actually can increase confidence, increase the trust that you have in other people, increase the trust that other people have in you, increase the trust that you have in yourself. You don't want to be a double-minded person, unstable in all your ways. Again, referencing James. You want your yes to be yes and your no to be no. And you also want, when you ask for wisdom, to believe that the good Lord who promises wisdom to any who ask will give it without finding fault. And when the good Lord gives you wisdom, you should Embrace it and not be double-minded. You should charge ahead along the course of wisdom. With gusto, with feeling, with conviction. And yet, take, for instance, June Carey's character in Liar Liar. He has built his life. He has built his relationships. He's built his career off of lies, And what that does to the people around him as they find out that he's been lying to them is that it makes them not want to trust him moving forward. It hurts. He hurts them when he lies to them. He erodes their trust in him. And whether he would stop to think about it or not, he erodes his trust in himself. And so actually, as hilarious as it is, and painful at some points to watch. His sudden loss of the ability to lie is a wake-up call for him and the people around him. And when the realization hits in that he has not been honest with people, and this is the cost, this is the cost to himself and to them both, once the spell is broken, once the wish is reversed and he is able to lie again, maybe he doesn't want to because maybe just maybe he can build 100% of a smaller structure. If he pairs down instead of 50% of a larger structure, that'll never be finished. You're always just deferring the cost. You're always kicking the can down the road, hoping that nobody finds out that the resources aren't there and they're not coming. You know, there's another show I referenced in yesterday's episode on this topic of communication, dovetailing off of the episode before that on the question of honesty, dovetailing off of the episode before that on good manners. We're just going to follow this string as far as it goes. Keep pulling on it. I made reference to a really, really smart, well-made show called Lie to Me. And Lie to Me approaches very similar issues of trust, communications, truthfulness, but from a very opposite direction. And I want you to take a listen to the brilliant opening for... The show, Lie to Me. And then we'll talk a bit about that as well, with regards to honesty, serving other serving others around as well, serving the good Lord well, serving God and one another, loving God and one another well. Here is the opening to Lie to Me. Take a listen. instructed my
1: client to remain silent. He's not going to talk. That's oh, okay. That's okay. I don't have much faith in words myself. Now, statistically speaking, average person tells 3 lies per 10 minutes conversation. And granted just regular people. We haven't studied, and people are planning to firebomb a black church. <sighs> Could skew differently. We don't have time for this scientist to talk to the guy. We went at him for four hours and got nothing. Now the FBI knows you want mass casualties. So right now, ATF is searching every inch the two largest black churches in the state. The FBI got it wrong. Well, there's a shocker. Not one of those two churches. Maybe you want one of the smaller churches, one of the black suburbs. You know
0: what you're talking about.
1: Don't respond. What do you say ATF starts with Southbridge? Mm-hmm. Now I'm only kidding. We're going to skip that one. We're going to focus on Lawton. You feel good about that? That's it, Lawton. Gone after a church in Lawton. That accusation has no basis. What do you mean? You just told me. The ATF found a pipe bomb in the church basement in Lawton an hour later.
0: DOD friend of mine right. said this guy's a total nut. Job. Already spent like three years in the African jungle with some primitive tribes studying their eyebrows.
1: What's his reaction to my statement? Right now, ATF is searching every inch of the two largest black churches in the state. Now, what you just saw there was a brief expression of happiness on his face, which he was trying his best to conceal. It lasted for less than a fifth of a second as what we call a micro-expression. Now, look at his mouth. The suspect is secretly happy about the locations we are searching, which tells me we have the wrong locations. Now I tell him of our new plan and... What you're talking about. Classic one-sided shrug. Translation, I have absolutely no confidence in what I just said. The body contradicts the words. He's lying. Yeah. When you accuse a suspect and he acts surprised, is there a way to tell if it's real or if he's just trying to look innocent? Now that's a real surprise. It lasts for less than a second when it comes across your face. But if your suspect is surprised for more than a second, he's faking it. He's lying. Now I call out that this target is actually Lawton, and watch it again. Concealed scorn. And one personal tip, you see this micro expression in your spouse's face, your marriage is coming to an end. Try me. Yeah. Uh, don't these micro expressions vary depending on the person? Let's leave this up and we'll go to the Cato Kaelin footage. It's from the OJ trial. Mr. Kaelin, you got a lot of money for your appearance on current affair, didn't you? Um, yeah. Scorn, scorn, huge scorn shame shame and shame contempt these expressions are universal emotion looks the same whether you're a suburban housewife or a suicide bomber the truth is written on all our faces
0: and cut Now, what did I tell you about reasons why I think this show was canceled after one season? I think that a lot of people started watching this and then they started having some uncomfortable conversations with people in their lives. And maybe even started looking at corporations and politicians and the media in general in a different light. And that led to reevaluation of who we trust. But the interesting thing I find in this show, for one, we're always communicating. We're always communicating something. So the question is not whether you communicate or whether you don't communicate. No, no. So long as you are in proximity to people, maybe even <clears throat> as much or more when you're not in proximity to people, you are always communicating something. To be absent, to check out, to not respond is a response. You know, I've been thinking here lately about the topic of text messages and how Between texting and instant messaging and commenting on social media or emailing or even calling people on the phone, it has never been easier, so far as we know, for all of human history to reach out to anybody you want to at any time. But it's also, by virtue of it being so easy to reach out to people, it's never been easier for us all to control access to ourselves, particularly if we're not present. And I think this is part of why meeting in person is so important. I mean, let's take Christian community through COVID, for example. 15 days to slow the spread turned into several more weeks, turned into several months, turned into even years, depending on where you were of people not meeting in person for regular church services. And I think a lot of communication was happening that maybe we're not all aware of. Churches that agreed readily to stop meeting in person to some extent communicated, and once it got past the point where This is just a quick temporary thing to try and get a handle on a pandemic. Once it turned into months and indefinitely and years, the churches that readily agreed to stop meeting in person were making a statement on whether they believed meeting in person was essential. So also the churches that quickly went to streaming a sermon or even music having YouTube uh, church services, so to speak. To some extent, and once it went past that initial period, as long as they stayed there, they made a statement about what is really important about church. Is a church just going and hearing a sermon? Is it just going and hearing the music played by the selected musicians, sung by the selected vocalists. Is it a passive thing? If so, you might as well do it at home. Really? I mean that's a lot more energy efficient. It's a big time saver if you don't have to travel somewhere to go to church. Why not just do the passive thing from home? Right? But I think that's part of what became clear for churches that even just did it initially in good faith. And I think there were I think Pretty well everybody did it in good faith for at least a little bit. I don't know of anybody who just, even the first Sunday when everybody was encouraged to stay home and avoid meeting other people outside their household in public places, including church, I don't think anybody heard that and kept attending every single Sunday. I think everybody pretty well said, okay, yeah, we can give this a couple of weeks while We figure out what's going on, do some research, you know, out of an excess of caution. Yes, absolutely. We don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to kill anybody. Maybe this is a really, really dangerous thing. And, you know, we're going to look at black death level casualty rates unless we stay home, unless we keep from meeting in person. But even just in a week or two, and then turning into a month, and three months, six months, a couple of years in some places. You can't help but realize that it is not the same thing. If it is just the same, then I would suggest you're doing it wrong. You've been doing it wrong. If there's no difference between you staying home and watching it on YouTube compared with you going in person, you're doing it wrong. And I say that because there is a conversation that's had when you show up When you shake hands, when you ask, how are you doing? How was your week? How's your family? How's work going? You guys got anything exciting going on over spring break, over the summer? What are your plans for Christmas? What are your plans for the New Year's? How's your health? When those conversations aren't happening, there is a void. There is a vacuum created, and it has to be filled by something. Will it be filled by the right things? Probably not. (laughs) Let's just be honest. Probably not. So then people go more and more to the next best thing, to meeting in person, talking with people. They have those conversations with the folks they want to over instant messenger or over texting or they maybe call or maybe they do FaceTime. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those modes of communication. I mean, I think it would be a little bit of a ludite tendency on our part if we said there's no place for communicating digitally with one another. You go back in time a few centuries to the invention of the printing press, a lot of the same concerns were raised about the democratization of information. Hey, you know what? If that's all it takes to mass produce a book is to buy a printing press and learn how to operate it, and you could write whatever and print whatever, who's going to vet it? Anybody could say anybody any, anybody could say anything right like you know like that's dangerous, and there was an initial reaction against that on the part of the powers that be particularly the Roman Catholic Church, particularly when it came to any kind of book on any kind of subject that might potentially contradict an interpretation of church teaching. It didn't even have to be church teaching. If it was just even the interpretation of the decision of a pope, the decision of a council, the local priest or bishop, the person in possession of the printing press doing the printing, the person who had written the material might find themselves in the hot seat And when I say hot seat, I mean they might find themselves dragged before the Inquisitor, tortured, told to recant, even put to death. Because it was dangerous, right? It was dangerous for just anybody to be able to say these things. Think also, too, about letter writing. The lion's share of our New Testament is... Letters. That's all an epistle is. It's a letter. It's a letter from one of the apostles in this case, although an epistle doesn't have to necessarily just be a letter from an apostle to a church. An epistle was a kind of letter in that day, but it's a letter. The epistles are letters written, most of them, by the apostle Paul to various churches. Rome, Corinth, Thessalonica, Galatia, Ephesus, for instance, or maybe to an individual like Timothy or Titus, or maybe to the general church all over, we're going to write this letter and it's going to be copied by hand and distributed and it's going to make the rounds. And it's going to be for all the church. And that's what happened. And we're still reading it. Because the letter to the church at Thessalonica wasn't just a letter for the church at Thessalonica. The letter for the church at Philippi was not just a letter for the church at Philippi. It was a letter for the church writ large. If we're in Christ, we are part of that church with a capital C. The universal church. The true Catholic church. Not to be confused with the Roman Catholic Church, not to be confined to the Roman Catholic Church by any stretch, if it even still includes the Roman Catholic Church. But someone writes a letter. And here's the trouble that we find ourselves in with our communication nowadays you write a letter, and it gets to its recipient and they don't have to read it, but they could, and they probably will. I've never received a letter from someone I know, someone I care about, and not read it. More to the point, I've never read a letter from someone I know and been unaffected by it. Now, I might be affected for good or for ill, but I'm always affected. And so also, I would hope I write a letter or a text message or an instant message, or comment, or I send an audio message, or I make a phone call, and the other person gets it, and they read it, and they listen to it, and they respond. But the trouble with the type of communication which we have been relegated to for two years through the COVID pandemic in many places, not all places, but many places, the trouble with the type of communication Digital communication, which we have been by and large relegated to, is that because it's so easy and it's so instant and we're so busy, we're being bombarded with messages all the time. It's also so easy to not respond. It's so much easier to not respond than in person. It's also so much easier to not quite fully take the meaning of the other person. It's too easy for things to go unnoticed, or for things which are not there to be perceived. But when it comes to having a face-to-face conversation with someone, I find it fascinating that this show, Lie to Me, is built on the premise that we are always communicating. We're always communicating, even when we're not communicating, even when we don't think, I should say, that we're communicating. Our lips say one thing, but our actions say another thing. Our body language says another thing. Our words are sending one message, but our facial expression is sending a very, very different message a shrug of the shoulders, a motion with our hands, a fidgeting of our fingers, a squirming in our chair, hands behind our head arms folded across our chest, a bald fist, an open palm, leaning in, leaning away, leaning to the side, all of it communicates something. And I think really what it boils down to in the end is that whether we're listening or we're speaking, however quick to listen we are, however slow to speak we are, we need to accept the fact that so long as we have a sinful nature to contend with, what is going to come out of us is going to be less than perfect now it should not be assumed that anytime we say i didn't mean such and such that that is actually the case what could be the case actually is that we did mean that but it was wrong of us we did mean that but it was wrong and i'm sorry That is not the right attitude. What could be the case when we say, what I really meant was this. What could be the case is that what I should mean is this. What I do mean now is this. We're recalibrating in real time. But what we actually meant before was something different. And they were hearing what we were saying and they were seeing what we were showing. And they did pick up on it and they do know. And I think this goes a long ways to where we read in the New Testament to confess our sins to one another. Also, on the flip side, when sins are confessed to us by others, to bear one another's burdens. I think also, too, this goes a long ways to unpacking why it's wise to owe no man anything except for the debt of love. I think this is also why it's very important that we would not consider ourselves more important than others, that we would not do anything from selfish ambition, but that we would in humility consider others as more important than ourselves. And that's, again, that's one of those where it's almost like shooting a gun, right? When you know that your target is at such and such a distance and that bullet drop is going to play a role and windage is going to play a role you adjust your sights, or you do what is called Kentucky windage, where you just hold over. Now, let's say you hold over X number of notches on your reticle, or X number of inches, because you know that as the bullet travels from here to the target, let's say you're hunting and you're hunting an animal, as the bullet travels, the wind is going to push it over by the time it gets there, maybe two or three inches. And if you aim direct, the bullet is actually going to miss the target entirely. It's going to be two or three inches into the dirt next to the deer or the elk. Or it's going to drop, bullet drop. The bullet's going to rise and it's also going to drop. And over a distance, maybe you have to hold up a few inches if you want the target to be the heart and lungs of this beast. So you hold over, and what you aim for is considering others as more important than yourself so that what you actually hit is others being just as important as you are. And what you actually accomplish is loving your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm going to try and love them better than I love myself. And in the process of doing that, what I might find is I'm actually loving them the way Jesus said we're supposed to, just as much as we love ourselves, just as well as we love ourselves. I am just endlessly entertained and fascinated by the question of communication, as is evidenced by the fact that we're approaching episode 350 of this podcast. Six years now, going on six years of writing and podcasting in earnest, working on my second book. I am fascinated by what goes into communication. But I think you really can't, when you're talking about good communication, you really can't underestimate the importance of trust and honesty. Trust and honesty are so crucial. Do people hear what we say. Okay, yes. Good. Now do they trust what we say? (laughs) Because if they don't trust what we say, at a certain point, they stop hearing what we say. And that can be an issue sometimes. Now sometimes too, it's just the reverse. They trust X, Y, and Z. And so what they hear is X, Y, and Z. What we're trying to tell them is actually C, B, and A. But they're still hearing X, Y, and Z. So they trust us along certain lines, but are those the lines along which we're trying to communicate? Maybe something changed. Maybe we didn't give them the full story before. Something's getting lost in translation. Something is being missed here on both ends. The target moved, and both we and they don't see that yet. It's important to remember that people are moving targets. And also that we are people. (laughs) We are trying to communicate with people who are growing, who are learning, who are maturing, hopefully, who are sometimes struggling and other times thriving. And we also are sometimes struggling, sometimes thriving, sometimes having a great day, sometimes having a not-so-great day. And that's part of how you love other people well is you tell them, here's where I'm at. In a way that helps to build trust. Also too, as a way of not just loving them as you love yourself, but also helping them to do the same to you. You listen and you watch for what has changed on their end. That's why you check in. That's why you stay in touch. That's why you want to meet together regularly. You know, we just recently had a few months, as I've talked about in recent weeks of this podcast, we had a few months of not attending church. And our reasons were not that we were upset with people. Our reasons were that we were about to have a baby. I had just changed my job to one with a very different schedule When I'm off, I'm really off. But when I'm on, I am totally on. And I'm off for seven days and I'm on for seven days. Not a lot of people that I know have the same schedule, keep the same hours that I do. So there's some recalibration that needs to happen of expectations on my end, everyone else's end. And that takes some time. It really does. But as we were not going to church, as I'm not going to church every other week, as my family is starting to go without me on the on the weeks where I'm working, we're starting to kind of remember early on in the pandemic when we couldn't go to church, weren't going to church. And it's helpful in some ways because it brings some things into focus again. I think it's important as we're trying to recalibrate ourselves, trying to manage expectations, trying to navigate growth and the maturity process, trying to love one another well, trying to love God well, trying to say on a daily basis, God willing, we'll live and do this or that. I think it's really important to not lie to ourselves for one thing, to be honest with ourselves when we make a mistake in the calibration process. I think it's important to be clear that other people may not always understand themselves or where they're at or where you're at. And again, it all gets put into the context. If it's going to be successful, if it's going to be a fruitful, productive Christian life, it all gets put into the context of loving God well, and loving one another well. Whatever that looks like in the details, if that's the overarching purpose, then we know that God works all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But we can do that better. We can make that learning curve more favorable, I believe, by being truthful, by being honest, by being gracious, by being loving, by hoping all things, bearing with one another, following Jesus. Wouldn't you know? I got to run, though. It is a Monday morning. I've got some things to attend to. Apparently, our freezer, one of our not-too-old upright freezers in the garage, is beeping, and the light is flashing. The stuff that is in the freezer is cool and cold, but it's not frozen, usually what happens, what we have found has happened with our freezers is if the kids are putting away groceries and they leave the door just partially ajar, we have this issue. And also if the kids are in and out and in and out, maybe grabbing popsicles sometimes, grabbing something that mama asked them to get for dinner We'll get this issue, and I think what it is, I think it's some of the internals to the freezer. have to work too hard trying to offset, especially when it's warm out. Trying to offset the warmth of the garage, and things get frosted up, and it just stops before it damages itself. So if we don't want the food to spoil, we're going to have to rearrange some things if we can. And... Hopefully we can get that thing thought out over a day or two. But I need to go and oversee that, oversee some spring cleaning, if you will. Feels like spring has sprung. The time change should tell us something. But that's all for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time. God bless.